Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Duly Noted Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's. Cure your cravings. Stop in today or visit Zaxby's.com and by Vistar Credit Union with locations across Gator Country. Visit ViStarCU.org. This is Duly Noted. Everything Florida Gators with your host, Pat Dooley. Okay, welcome to another edition of the Duly Noted Podcast, the first Thursday one, I think, of the year. Well, certainly of the of the football season. And uh, uh, I'll be honest with you, it's going to be a little shorter than, than some of these 45-minute ones have been because I don't have a whole lot to say anymore. We've talked about everything ad nauseum. We will be joined by Lee McGriff to talk about the Florida's wide receivers. And I think you're going to uh, really enjoy what he has to say about where they were and where they are now, and a little bit about the rivalry as well. Uh, you know, one thing I, I wrote about in Thursday's paper about how this is the biggest opening game in Florida's history, and I'm, you know, my boss came to me and said, "Well, you know, people are arguing about whether it is, and a lot of people are defending you." And I'm like, "I, I that's great, but look, I'm right about this. Trust me, I am right about this. This is the biggest opening game ever." for Florida uh, because the entire sports world is going to be watching. Not everybody. There'll be baseball games on. Uh, But it's going to have a huge TV audience. It's so important for Florida's momentum. It's Florida's chance to take another step in the right direction. It's gigantic. And and you know the other thing, the other reason for me, I think maybe for Gator fans and for unbiased journalists like myself, why it's important for Florida is you guys are getting this now. I, I mentioned this the other day. It's almost like the NFL draft. You know how it is in the NFL draft? Everybody who comes out, man, you're in love with you. Oh, I'd, I'd draft him in the first round. I'd dra- I would maybe low second round, but that guy's really good. Uh, he's definitely draftable. And it builds up to a crescendo and then it starts to come down. It, it, Tebow was the perfect example. You know, everybody was like, Tebow, 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 he's so great, and he's working on his passing motion. And then all of a sudden it was like, eh, we've studied film on him, and we don't think he's that good, and, and nobody wanted to draft him in the first round, but Denver was, fortunately for him, did. That's what's happened with Florida. Florida was everybody's darling for a while, and everybody was excited about him. And, I, you know, I've given you the formula for why that people were excited about him. And then it was almost like people got a little closer look and they started seeing all these negative things happening. But more than anything, I think they just finally started paying attention. It doesn't mean Florida's not going to be good. And and you are getting this over and over again. I keep hearing it, seeing it. Everybody's Because now, as we get to this last week and a half of the se- uh, before the season starts, Florida's season starts, as we get to this point, people are out of 
easy things to talk about. They got to come up with hard things to talk about. One of the hardest things to talk about is okay, who do you think is overrated? Who do you think in the top 10 won't finish in the top 10? That's the narrative now for this last few days, especially. And Florida is an easy target because of the attrition, because of the offensive line situation. And so, you know, I get it. But that's another reason this game is so big. You don't want to give them ammo. You don't want people to be able to say, I told you Florida wasn't that good. You want them to be able you know, ideally, ideally, because the overreaction is coming. We know that. We talked about it ad nauseum. The overreaction is coming. You want people to be saying, you know what? I think Florida's a playoff team. It doesn't mean they are. I'm not going to feel differently about Florida if they win this game easily than I do right now, I don't think. I mean, I may feel differently about an individual player. I certainly will feel differently about them if they lose this game. Uh, If they win the game, and I'm a big believer in this, you know my philosophy, win by one. If they win the game 13-10, to I'm not going to feel any differently about them. It will tell me that maybe they've got to get the offense going. You know, the whole Felipe thing is um, one of the big mysteries, I think. But I'm not going to overreact to it like that. However, if they lose, there will be a lot of overreaction in that way, and I'm not sure it's even overreaction. That's why this game is so important. You win the game and you look good. People are going to love you, and they're going to love you for two and a half weeks. That's the difference. It's, it's, that's why this is unlike anything we've ever experienced. They're going to love you for two and a half weeks because they're going to love you next week when you're the only game to really talk about, right? Now, obviously, as we go forward into late next week, yeah, sure, you're going to have games. You're going to talk about plenty of games, but you're still going to have Florida, and you're going to bring them up every once in a while, and you're going to say, you know, I don't know if Auburn can have a Florida game. The next week, you're still going to be talking about Florida because, you know, they're going to be where they are in the polls. And, and uh, if this is, again, if they play well, I'm just telling you, it, it will be a great two and a half weeks. And then eventually, you got to start talking about Florida, Kentucky, which last year was not good. So I, I don't know if I'm making a point at all. I think, you, as you can tell, I'm a little punchy from all this talking about this game over and over again. Um, the roster took another hit with Elijah Con- Conliffe, who uh, lost for the season. Not sure of his injury. I probably should have looked that up. Doesn't really matter. It's just one more n- notch that's, uh, you know, there are about 76 players right now that are that are that that can play for this team this year, and it's not a good number. And I, I'm probably more concerned about it than a lot of people, but I, am, I think Dan Mullen's starting to get a little bit concerned. But stay healthy. And you'll be all right. Um, I know you're tired of hearing me say that. We talked about that Tuesday. Uh, I'm going to take a break right here. We're going to come back on the other side. We're going to tell you about the biggest mystery person going into this game. And it's not the quarterback from Miami. You're listening to the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. At ViStar, we believe in better, better convenience, so members can bank any way they want, whether it's at a branch, on a mobile device, or at one of more than 20,000 fee-free ATMs across North America. We believe that people have better things to do with their time, 
If you believe that convenience is better, join ViStar. We never forget that it's your money. All loans subject to approval, insured by NCUA. I'm your host, Pat Dooley from the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com, and this is the Dooley Noted Podcast, presented by Zaxby's. Right, welcome back to the podcast uh, at Gatorsports.com. Appreciate everybody for clicking on. The biggest mystery is not Jaron Williams. We kind of know what we're going to see with Jaron Williams. I think they're going to give him a pretty conservative game plan, throw some play action deep. If he hits it, great. If he doesn't, at least you'd loosen up the defense. They're going to count on their defense. The biggest mystery person in this game is definitely Felipe Franks. And the reason is, is because his coach has been talking about him like he's the next Danny Werfel or Tim Tebow or Jameis Winston with character. Not Jameis Winston, who he is. Um, or Oliver, I mean, uh, Oliver Luck. Andrew Luck or Tua Tonga Viola. I mean, that's the way he's been talking about him. It makes sense if he is, okay? If if Felipe comes out and he is great on Saturday night and Florida wins the game going away, he's going to be in the Heisman race right away. That's going to be part of the overreaction. But he will be. People are going to freak out. Oh, my gosh, did you see Felipe Franks last night? If he's as good as Dan Mullen's been saying. Now, I know that there's a little bit of, you know, i got to inject this into him, this confidence – into him and make sure he understands you did it last year. You're going to do even better things this year. Okay. I understand there's part of that, but I think Dan's pretty sincere. He doesn't blow smoke uh, um, with guys if they're not performing where he wants them to. And the way he talked about him the last couple of weeks leading up to the game about franks and how well he's done and how much he knows now look we'll see saturday and we'll see as the season goes along but whether it's i gotta pump this guy up or he's really he's he's about to be my next great quarterback and and that's what we're looking at here is he going to be the next tebow probably not but he is he gonna be the next dak prescott i don't know if he can get to that level but alex smith you know, he's going to be – I think he feels like he's going to be the next great quarterback I have. And last year he wasn't great. He was good. He was a little bit um, – you know, he still was a little bit erratic. And that's the biggest thing they need from him is consistency. So to me, he's the biggest mystery that I'm hoping will at least take a step towards solving. And that's the thing about a game, the opening game. It's just one step on a long road. Now, it's still, to me, as I've said in print and right here, it's the most important game of the year for Florida. I, I believe you've got to win this game to get the season off to a good start and get the momentum switched away from maybe some of the negative stuff that's been going on. You need it badly. But it's it's college football, and it's going to be tough. It's not easy to, to win these kind of games. Um, this is a very talented team. They have their flaws. Certainly, offensively, were the, was their biggest flaw last year. They turned the ball over twenty five or twenty six times last year. Um, but again, they got a different quarterback. Um, I don't know that it's going to. They got two freshmen on the on the playing tackles. Is that going a good thing or a bad thing? I, I, my gut would be it's a bad thing. 
Maybe these guys are really that good. Uh, I, I just like – I think – here's the thing I, I really believe. Florida has better players in Miami right now, okay? And they have better coaches in Miami. And the other thing is, the biggest thing to me is, it's the second year – the culture's in place. Maybe it's not where you want it eventually, but it's at least you've got a foundation, a structure of the culture where Miami's still trying to build that. That's why I like Florida in the game. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be nervous because you should be nervous. I mean, I've talked about this. What's your DEFCON right now as, as far as nerves go? Um, my gut was be most people are right around 3.5, maybe 4. I don't think people are at 5. You get it five for SEC championship games and and national championship games. And, um, you know, I think LSU last year, you were probably about a four, a little over four, 4.2 maybe on the on the DEFCON scale. You're playing in two weeks against Tennessee Martin, you should be like at a one. They were two and nine last year, okay? But for this game, I think there's, there's a lot of nerves because there's a lot – if anybody's lived through any part of this rivalry, and I, I shouldn't say that because if you were, me, even if you were there for the game in Will Muschamp's um, disastrous year, was that what was that? Two thousand thirteen, right? I have, to, I have to think about the math on that. Two thousand thirteen, and they lose that game. They turn the ball over. Even that game, you probably came away not being a Miami fan and and vice versa and that's another reason I didn't even get into in the column here's another reason you need to win this game it's important it's the biggest opening game ever for Florida Miami's leading the series because they've won six out of seven he, he I know I know the game some of those wins were in were in uh the 80s <laughs> but you still need to find a way to win it for that reason. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. I was thinking about this today. I feel kind of bad for everybody else in the country that they don't have a game. Now, they're probably th- saying, you know what? This will be great. I'll just li- get a cold beverage and sit back and watch Florida and uh, Miami play, and then after that I'll watch Arizona and Hawaii. No, you won't. You probably First of all, you won't. Second of all, that's all you've got, though. And you're tired of probably previewing, writing preview stories. I think this game, I'm, I'm not kidding. This is going to sound stupid, but I, I'm not. I think because this game has gotten so much attention and it's because it's uh, unusual to be opening on August 24th, I, th- I, th- I saw somewhere the, the earliest opening game ever was August 22nd. Um, but Florida's never opened this early. But because this game's gotten so much attention, it's almost like everybody's had to ramp up their advanced stuff. And, like, we need to be ahead of the game. And then next week it's going to be game week, and they're going to be going, uh, I, I'm out of ideas. I don't know what else I can write. Um, but the other thing is, yeah, you, I, it, I'm excited that there's a game Saturday. So we have something else to talk about. But more than that, that it, it happens. And then guess what's next week? Open week. We'll still give you some stuff, promise you. Um, so anyway, 
I wanted to talk about the idea of other games on on week zero, and we talked to Malcolm Moran. Uh, Malcolm Moran. We talked to Ralph Russo about that on in the on the Tuesday story. Um, but there was one story I, I I saw floated. One idea I saw floated that didn't really make a whole lot of sense, and that was you you expand the playoff to eight games, and then you um, and then you basically play all the bowl games the following year on week in week Zulu as I call it not zero week Zulu well that's dumb because why would you reward players from the year's previous team that didn't even play in the game and not reward the guys who did or seniors that does that doesn't make any sense however I do think what they need to do what would be really cool is if they said look we're moving the the season up a week, and we're going to have. I know that it, it's not good. You know, the student athletes probably aren't thrilled about it, but nobody, we, we've never shown any real concern for them in terms of scheduling. So we're going to have a, uh, I don't know, you could have an SEC Big Ten challenge and have eight games between the, the two of them spread over uh, even Friday through Monday, whatever. I think that that would be the kind of the cool thing to do. Or you take the top, say, 16 teams in the final AP poll, even though it has nothing to do with this year, I get it, but still, it would give you somewhere to go from. It's just, just like they do in the SEC Big 12 Challenge where it's what you what your record was the year before that decides whether you get in and what, what you're doing in it in basketball. So you take the the top sixteen teams of the final poll, you throw them in. You, one plays sixteen, even though it has nothing to do with it. It's not a playoff game, but it certainly would be a good game, and it would be great for scheduling purposes for all these ads scrambling around to find teams to play. Let ESPN do it for you. Here we're going to give you this. We're going to invent this thing and come up with the money for it. 16 teams, it'll be one of the great days in college football, and they'll all be good teams. Because no matter what, 1 through 16, the top 16 teams, or even if you want to make it top 8, teams in college football from the previous year are going to be pretty good the next year. That's one thing we have we know. We are getting – you can call it parity, you can call it um, boredom, but the same teams are going to be pretty good. So I don't know. It's just an idea. I think I think it would be great. Uh, I've got a couple other things I want to get to, but I tell you what I need to do is take a break. I'll take a break, and we'll bring in Lee McGriff. We'll talk about this Florida uh, football team. Also, uh, I, he's going to have some interesting things to say because Lee and I talk a lot. Uh, don't forget, we'll come back and we'll talk on the other side of Lee about the Pac-12 not going to nine o'clock games, and I'll tell you why they're doing that. Cost of attendance, is it legal cheating in the SEC? And we'll do three things. All that coming up on the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. ABC Fine Wine and Spirits in Florida is family-owned since 1936 and longtime Gator supporters. 
Did you know Touchdown Terrace was named after the founder, Jack Holloway? There are 122 ABC locations throughout Florida. Shop online at abcfws.com and pick up in-store on the way to your tailgate or game day party. ABC has walk-in coors for beer and amazing deals every day on wine and spirits. Save $10 on every $100 on wine. ABC Wickers, proud Gator supporters. Okay, welcome back to the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. It's a pleasure to be joined by Lee McGriff, who, of course, was a great player at Florida, does the uh, radio analysis right now. Um, Of course, had had a son who was a great player at Florida, and uh, we're going to talk to him a little bit about Florida-Miami. Lee, thanks for joining the podcast. And I don't think there's a lot of of people, like especially millennials, who have no idea why these two teams hate each other so much. (laughs) Well, Pat, one of the reasons I love to talk to you is because we come from the same place, the same time frame. We get all this stuff because we lived it. And uh, there was a day and a time, it really, until the late 80s, where this was a long-standing rivalry. It meant something to beat Miami. It always did. And for the longest time, it was Florida, FSU, and Miami were the big three in Florida. And to win the state championship actually meant something. And, uh, of course, the other piece of this is, and it, you know, I can't really tell you about how it is right now exactly, but I heard Steve Spurrier talk about it, and I'm going to say the same thing. We had a lot of Miami guys on our team. It was very personal, and just about 100% of those guys were recruited heavily by Miami. And I've often said that if Miami would have kept all those great Miami players that played at Florida, they'd have been really great for a really long time, and that's probably the biggest thing that, that, that Howard Schnellenberger got accomplished is he started keeping those local guys right there but there, it was always a big deal it was always a big deal and back in the day when when there was freshman football freshmen were eligible to play the varsity on everybody every year's freshman schedule you played miami mm-hmm. and fsu so it it was built in deep that you needed to beat miami so let me just i'm just trying to remember you were a freshman in 71 would that be correct yes so you knew about the flop, and when they came back, you probably talked to them about the flop, but you know how that kind of ramped things up uh, in the rivalry. It, it, it did, and of course, the, the coach at the time of Miami was Fran Kersey, who was a former Miami quarterback who eventually left Miami and went to Kentucky, and he carried his hate yeah, he did. <laughs> with him to Kentucky. He never let that go. He was... He is to this day, and, and I don't know Fran well, but I do know Fran. And when I see him periodically, there's no question he hates the University of Florida with a passion. Yeah, there's no question about it. Um, let, let's talk about this current batch of receivers. You've, got, you've watched them, obviously, up close and personal, been to some practices. You know, and I keep saying this may be the best group they've had you can say since 08 with Urban Meyer, with Riley Cooper and Lewis Murphy and those guys, you may go back to 96, which is still the stud class for me with – not the class, but the uh, that, that team with Riddell, Ike, and Quez and some other guys, uh, you know, including Travis. But uh, what about um, 
what about this group? I mean, do you how much do you like this group of receivers they have right now? I, I do like them, and uh, you know, I, I don't give those kudos away easily, as you know, when mm-hmm. it comes to receivers, and and um, they, they have ability, but they've learned to to compete and give effort. Um, which, you know, everybody thinks, fans think in general, well, of course that's what players do. No, they don't. No, they don't, unless you demand it. And just because somebody's a high-level player, you know, playing Division One college football, does not necessarily make them competitive. Talented? Physically talented? Sure. But competitive? No. This is a competitive bunch of guys, and part of that has been drawn out by Dan Mullen, Billy Gonzalez and, and the entire staff, they go about it. So, you know, you, you, you like Van Jefferson, he transfers from Ole Miss. I've watched him practice a lot of times. He's serious about it. He is serious about right. practicing. And he is working at it. And, uh, you know, I would say uh, uh, Trevon Grimes, who is a uh, Trevon, Trevon Grimes, is a very talented guy. You can see it. But I'll tell you, when he first got here, his work ethic was okay. Has changed, and Tyree Cleveland, that guy was a prima donna under the former regime. He gave effort every once in a while, and to the point where I wanted to strangle him with his <laughs> effort. Last year, that guy didn't get many balls. He is running down on special teams. He's blocking like a wild man, and if the ball came his way, he was all about trying to catch it. That was a transition. So. You know, we can keep talking about Josh Hammond. He's a really good player. He's an effort guy. Freddie Swain, Darius Toney's going through this this transition, learning the art of playing receiver because we know he can run like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they all, I like how they go after it, and so they're good. You know, it, it's funny because when we talk about that, and one reason I'm picking Florida, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm picking Florida in the paper tomorrow. But the biggest reason I am is because this is Florida's second year. This is Dan Mullen's second year, and he's not. He doesn't have to tell them why they're doing things. They know why they're doing things. The quarterback understands why they're doing it. He understands what they need to do to make it work. And I think the the understanding that you're talking about, and like you said, but that's great behind the scenes stuff about these guys. You know, we all assume they're out there busting their tail every day in the in the heat, but as you know, it doesn't always work that way, and that he's gotten them to buy in in that way in practice, which was a big part of the Urban Meyer success at Florida, was making guys understand how important practice was. Pat, I watched um, back in the spring. I actually saw it in the first spring, too. So they're having a scrimmage. Dan Mullen is standing on the field in the secondary. All the other coaches are off the field. It's a live scrimmage. And he, before it starts, he is screaming and yelling about great effort. So the scrimmage starts. He's decided to focus on the defensive side. Guy runs the ball, throws a pat, whatever it is, and he's talking about running with relentless effort to the ball. Well, everybody's got their interpretation of what that means. Dan Mullen was literally sprinting to the ball, grabbing players by their jersey, because they weren't running as fast as he was to get to the ball, <laughs> and he did it for the whole scrimmage. The head coach, this is effort. That 
that home run trot you had going, that's not it. And he got out there and he pulled on them. And they, they, they all coach like that. And it shows up on Saturday. And as you know, it's, it's no surprise. The old coaching saying about, you know, how you play like you, you practice, it really is true. And in the prior regime, and I can name specific players, and everybody's going, what's wrong with that guy? How come he didn't play good on Saturday? We'll watch him on Wednesday. See yeah. if it was any different than what you're looking at on Saturday. Funny thing how that happens. So what you see on Saturday, they're asking about, they're asking for it all week, and it is consistent. It's not some of the time. It's all of the time. If you had to pick one guy that's going to lead the team in receiving and, and catches, would you just assume it's going to be Van Jefferson since he did last year? Or would you do you think there's, there could be somebody like Trayvon Grimes or – you know, uh, I mean, Jacob Copeland's a the guy they're raving about. I don't know what you've seen of him in practice, but they've been raving about him. They, they have, and and he's. Uh, I don't. I don't think he was till now, but he's a he's a he's a fighter. He's a competitive guy, and, and I don't know. I mean, one of the things there is only one ball. Yeah. So I, I don't know when you're talking about Van Jefferson and, and Jacob Copeland and, and Tyree Cleveland, Trevon Grimes, Rick Wells, Josh Hammond, Freddie Swain, Kadarius Tony. You're. They can all play, and oh, by the way, Kyle Pitts and Lucas Crow and, and Kenmore Gamble. I don't know how many balls everybody can <laughs> catch, so it's probably going to be very, very situational. And, uh, you know, I mean, somebody may lead the team with, you know, 30 receptions. But uh, So there's a lot of, lot of talented guys out there. But, but to, to respond to what you said, Ben Jefferson is very experienced and very serious, and I think very dependable. It wouldn't surprise me if he's not that guy. Well, that's probably what you led the team with when they were running the wishbone of '74, right? Uh, it's what? How many? Thirty catches? Come on, man! I blew that out. I was at thirty-eight. <laughs> thirty-eight. <laughs> but he didn't lead the team. And by the way, and it's funny, you know, over the years, especially during the '90s. The guys in the booth would give me relentless grief about, you know, leading the team or leading the SEC with 38 catches or, <laughs> you know, whatever. But today, those statistics are valid again, you know? Yeah. They, they do stand up. You look at around the country and on this team, and, and those stats uh, are, are back. Uh, you, you know, people... Catching seventy and, and uh, sixty-five, seventy balls that doesn't happen very often anymore. Yeah, it, it is amazing. There are, are some teams where they still throw it so much, like like uh, Washington State, obviously. But last question before you leave, we appreciate your time. How many times during your career doing the analysis for Florida games did you think Mick Hubert might jump out of the booth, out of the window completely? The only reason. I think he won't jump out of the booth is because he'll have a stroke first. He'll have no energy <laughs> left to jump. I'm telling you, it, 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 it is it's, it's something to behold. He is so into it. He's very prepared, but he is so emotionally into it. And when big plays happen, there's hardly room in the booth for his juggler vein and me. <laughs> he's standing up. He's beat red. He's screaming. And sometimes... If you notice, I don't even talk. I'm just looking at him thinking, are you okay, man? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so he is into it, no doubt. 
He is, and it'll be a fun uh, Saturday and a, certainly a, a fun season. We look forward to it listening to Lee McGriff and uh, always love talking to him at uh, either on these podcasts or also, of course, I, he's kind of the guy I go to to ask questions about what's really going on because he knows. He knows the game. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more of the Duly Noted Podcast here at Gatorsports.com. I'm your host, Pat Dooley, from the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com, and this is a Duly Noted Podcast, presented by Zaxby's. Okay, appreciate Lee McGriff so much, and um, look forward to hearing... Uh, I think I'm going to take a radio to the game. I think I'm going to try and listen, because you know what I've, I've discovered? When you're covering a game... I've discovered this at the age of 64. How sad is that? When you're covering a game, you miss a lot of stuff... That, it, that the TV guys have. So, and the radio guys, they've got more information than the PA announcer is going to give you. And you can see things with your own eyes, but you don't know severity of injuries. You don't know, um, you know, other, uh, just other little tidbits of the game. So I, 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 I'm going to have my headphones on for this game Saturday night because I want to make sure I'm covered on everything. A um, couple things that I wanted to just run into real quick. Number one, the Pac-12 decided against new games. They're going to continue to explore. What what are the chances? There, there's a great Robin Williams routine where he's talking about being stoned and God being stoned and inventing the duckbill platypus. <laughs> and um, what if they were sitting around in a room out in, out in California and said, "Hey guys, dudes, I, wait, I got an idea. You know how we can get more attention for our league." What if we told everybody we we're going to play at 9 a.m. because we're not getting enough attention and people would freak out and that would give us more attention? And then people might say, hey, we need to pay more attention to the Pac-12. What if we did that? Well, I, that makes as much sense because, look, nobody liked the whole idea of the 9 a.m. games, which would be at noon. And that was the idea was Fox could go from their, their new pregame show right into a game. Um and they can do that certainly with the Big 12, but they would want to do it with the Pac-12 as well. Um, but I, I think the bottom line is uh, they know what a PR disaster this was, and they and they, I think that maybe they they expected it. But here's the thing they can do now: let's take a couple of years. Let's see if we get a team in the playoff over the next two years. Let's see if we have a guy with a real chance to win the Heisman. If he Like like Christian McCaffrey, I certainly could make an argument he should have won the Heisman. Mariota's won the Heisman, but a lot of guys get overlooked in, the, in that conference. There's no question about it. There are a lot of lazy voters. And, um, you know, let's wait and see if that happens. And then if, if, if everything's – if we start to see we're getting more attention, hey, let's not worry about thinking about those 9 a.m. games. That's my theory on the whole thing. Um, and we'll see if I'm right or not. The other thing that happened this week that was really interesting was John Bacon has written a book about Jim Harbaugh and Michigan football. And in it, Jim Harbaugh, Harbaugh says it's hard to compete with the cheaters, referring to the South. You would think he's referring to Alabama. You would think he's referring to Clemson. You would think he's referring to other schools down there. And uh, I heard John Bacon on Feinbaum, and it was really interesting. I'm going to try and do something on this uh, next week when we when we don't have actual football game to cover. Um, 
what he was talking about, how is the NCAA doesn't care about cheating anymore. They only care about academic fraud and getting the waivers right, and they're not going after teams that are doing this, what he called legal cheating. Now, to, first of all, that's an oxymoron. You're not cheating if it's legal, right? And what he was pointing out was how school, I think it was Auburn, bumped their cost of attendance way up so they could give the players more money right when they came in with that cost of attendance stipend. And you wonder if, if some schools did this, why didn't others? I'm curious. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. I'm going to kind of look into that next week. I don't know if I'll get it all by next week. But, you know, so that was one way that there's legal cheating. And the other way, this is not legal cheating. This is illegal cheating, as he was talking about players getting taking in their, their crummy cars and saying, oh, I need the, the bumper uh, realigned. And they give them a loaner Mercedes, and they don't get the bumper, the the bumper replacement piece for two years. So the kids got a Mercedes for two years. That is illegal recruiting. That I mean, that is that's cheating because you're basically um, saying you know you're cheating. You're, you're saying you're giving them a, a benefit that's you shouldn't be getting. You you give them the loaner car for two weeks, that's one thing. Uh, and if the car doesn't come in in two months, then give it back to them. Anyway, it was really interesting stuff. So I'm going to look into a little bit of that and a little bit into Florida's recruiting bud- budget. There's some things there that I am I was concerned with this week's too. So those are the kind of things we'll be working on next week. As uh, And mostly we'll be talking about Florida and Miami, of course. Um, all right, let's get to three things. It's time for three things. Number one on three things. Um, does anybody care about this World Cup basketball? I, I know ESPN does because ESPN cares about all things ESPN. For example, the XFL. You know, I, I know I've gone on and on about the way they treated the AFA, which I thought was ridiculous, or AAF, I should say. <laughs> I should get the name right if I'm going to talk about it. Um, just ignored it, ignored it, ignored it. And with this XFL, they're just going crazy about it. You know, like reveal of the nicknames, everything. But the ESPN's in business with them. And so forget about the journalism there. But this World Cup basketball, it's kind of the same deal. I just don't care if we win the World Cup in basketball. Is it even a real thing? And are our best players playing? No. But ESPN's into it. They're invested. So it's like the lead headline every day. I just wonder if anybody else is. It's football season, man. It's not basketball season. And I know it will be basketball season, but that's a long way off. And we ain't going to watch games that don't matter. All right, number two. Among the things I'm tired of are bold predictions. We got to have a bold prediction. All right, here's my, you know, and then they'll say something like, you know, Utah's my dark horse to get in the college football playoff. Well, of course they are. They got a really good team with almost everybody back. They play in a lousy conference. They could easily win and go undefeated. That's not a dark horse. You know, it's a dark horse. Vanderbilt. Arkansas. Anybody in the ACC besides Clemson? Who is the ACC's second best team? Eh, Maybe Miami. Anyway, I'm tired of those, and I'm tired of lists, and I love lists. If you know anything about me, I live for lists. I love doing lists. I've done lists this week 
but I'm tired of them. The 25 best players you've never heard of. The, the 15 best nose tackles in the state of Colorado. I mean, I, I just am tired of it. That's what you have to do all summer, and I get it. I understand it. I'm not besearching anybody's name for who does these, but I personally have grown weary of it. Not only uh, grown weary of listening to myself talk, I've grown weary of lists and bold predictions. And finally, number three, I just want to tell everybody what I tell you every year. Enjoy the season. It's going to fly by. You've been sitting here waiting for this game, and you've been very impatient, and now it's going to finally be here, and then guess what you're going to do? You're going to look up, and it's going to be week seven. This is the way it happens once we get into the season. Now, it's a weird season, as we know, in that this is the only game, and then Florida doesn't play the next week, but, of course, we got great games next Saturday. A few. It's enough to, to watch. Um, but the point is I tell myself this every year and I tell all the listeners on this podcast, you know, I love you guys try to embrace the moments instead of the whole season. If you embrace the whole season, it slips right through your fingers. You got to embrace the moments and really enjoy them. Enjoy the season. College football season is the best time of the year. There's no question about it. I know it starts out when it's 97 degrees. I know it finishes when it's cold. In some places it's snowing. But it's the best. Try to enjoy this season. Don't let the Miami fans get to you on Saturday. Because they will try. From well before the game until well after. Even if they lose. Just don't let them get to you. That's the first step in enjoying the season. All right, that's going to do it for today's podcast here at Gatorsports.com. Appreciate everybody so much. Certainly appreciate Lee McGriff. Thanks again to Ralph Russo for coming on Tuesday. We'll have some more guests next week. Now, next week, we go back to just one one day. We'll do the Tuesday. We'll talk about the Florida-Miami game. Probably won't even have a guest because we'll have so much to talk about with Florida-Miami. And then we'll take that Thursday off because there's no game. Uh, but I will kind of preview some of the uh, big bigger games on that Thursday, uh, that Tuesday podcast. That, that podcast may be really long, uh, but I don't think anybody minds. And then uh, we'll come back again next week, the following week, with the Tuesday, Thursday, uh, pretty much every week for a long time, right up till Florida, Georgia, right before that. All right. Um, tonight I'm going to speak in Eustis. Look forward to seeing those people down there, the Lake County Gator Club. And it's been a lot of fun going to these different Gator Clubs. Gator fans are fired up. Stay fired up. Okay? It's uh, – College football seasons are memories. They're snapshots. Enjoy them. I'll see you next time. Until then, I'm Pat Dooley, sports columnist of the Gainesville Sun. I am deep. I am way back, and I am out of here. The Duly Noted Podcast is presented by Zaxby's. Cure your cravings. Stop in today or visit Zaxby's.com and by Vistar Credit Union with locations across Gator Country. Visit ViStarCU.org. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. 
From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.